And good morning again. Great to be with you this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to 1 Peter 3 if you haven't already. We're going to jump right into the scriptures this morning. And it's good to continue on in 1 Peter. It's good to do that together. I'm uh, really personally excited to be able to walk through this text this morning uh, with you. It's been, uh, I've been wrestling personally with it this week. I'm glad to be able to come and share some of these things with you this morning. But uh, we're, we're reading through 1 Peter together as a church. If you haven't jumped in on that, it's not too late. Uh, reading plans are available. I encourage you to just read along through this great epistle of Peter with your church family. Continue to teach through 1 Peter. Got a couple months left. That's going to carry us through June. Uh, then we'll pick up 2 Peter uh, in the fall. So that's kind of where we're headed as a church uh, but just want to remind you, before we jump into verse 18, uh, what is the big idea and what, what's going on in the letter of 1 Peter? It's always good to remember the context of what you're getting ready to read. Uh, remember, Peter is writing a letter to a group of people that he calls elect exiles. Elect exiles. It's these group of believers who are scattered throughout the Roman world. And here, here's what helps me. They, they've been born again by God out of the world, so to speak, spiritually. But they're very much still living in the world. So the, the timely drumbeat of 1 Peter for you and for me and for them as well 2,000 years ago. The, the drumbeat of 1 Peter really is this. How do we live faithfully in this fallen world that's not our home? Now, I don't know about you, but that is a timely message that I need to hear on a regular basis. Five chapters of Peter is walking us through that. How do we live faithfully today as those chosen out of this world by God's grace, yet he's chosen to very much leave us here for a purpose? How do we live faithfully when this is not our home? And there are times, there are seasons, and there are moments where this world very much doesn't feel like our home at all. Can anybody relate to that? That's exactly where these believers in the time of 1 Peter were. They were following Jesus faithfully and they were experiencing difficulties. Now, Peter, this is just a quick review, but Peter reminds them of some realities of exile, meaning here's some realities when we're living in a place that's not ultimately our home. We're, we're waiting to be home as citizens of heaven, but we're called to live faithfully here until then. Throughout this book, he's reminded them of some realities. I'll just give you these very quickly. He said, one reality of exile is this, fix your hope. Peter says back in chapter 1, remember this? Fix your hope not on things of this world that are going to pass by and are temporal. Fix your hope, he says, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1.13. Set your hope, fix your hope fully on the grace that's going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope on Christ and his promises and his grace. Fix your hope. He says another thing here, he says this over in chapter 2 and chapter 1, he says... We are to pursue holiness. 
In other words, there is a holiness that is to be true of our conduct, our lives. Because Christ who has called us is holy. He's purchased our holiness. Our lives are to look different, we're to speak different, we're to be different because we are different. Our conduct is to be different in this world. We're to pursue holiness. We're to submit to God-ordained authority. And, and as we live this way, here's what Peter reminds them and he reminds us. And this will help us where we're going this morning. Expect, expect unjust treatment from the world. Over and over, there's this drumbeat, and you're hearing it if you're reading through 1 Peter. It's this, for the name of Christ, for the sake of Christ, because you are different, because you live countercultural lives, because you're pursuing holiness, because you've been called out of this world, because you submit to a greater master, expect unjust, unfair treatment. He goes on, he says this in 1 Peter 2, 19, for this is a gracious thing. <laughs> That's a perspective shifter. He says, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Translation, expect to be treated wrongly at times, at seasons, in different stages, and to different degrees, if we're going to follow Jesus faithfully in this fallen world. Expect it. And then he takes it another step and he says this. This is 1 Peter 3, 9. As you're being treated unfairly, watch this. How are we to respond? 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Translation. If you're treated like dirt, you don't treat others like dirt. When you're... When you suffer loss for something, or you're passed over for a job for the sake of Christ, or the cool crowd doesn't necessarily invite you to all their things anymore, or whatever that is, at whatever moment someone treats you unfairly or unjustly, Peter says, oh, you're never to repay evil for evil, but instead be a blessing. And in that, he goes on, we saw this last week, 1 Peter 3.15. And you know what they'll do? They'll say, hey, tell me about the hope that is within you. Something different about you. He says these are some ways that we, we live in this time of exile. Jesus followers living in this fallen world, living countercultural lives, can expect to suffer unfair, unjust treatment. Now listen, in various forms, various seasons, to various degrees, at various times in our lives for the sake of Jesus. That may be mere criticism. That may be a sense of being left out. That may be the reality of being passed over for a job. That may be being slandered. Someone calls you a name. That may be imprisonment. And that may be death someday. Those are extremes. And you say, I could never imagine that. Okay, but if you're walking faithfully in the name of Christ, you will suffer loss at times. Someone's going to treat you unfairly. How do you respond? Peter says, expect it. And we never return evil for evil now. That brings us to 1 Peter 3, 18. Because the drumbeat of what Peter is saying, and I want you to get this, he's going to link the unjust suffering of Jesus to how we are to respond when we're treated unjustly 
right now, day in and day out. He's writing to these exiles then, and he's saying, listen, as a follower of Christ, you want to know how to endure well when someone treats you unfairly? (laughs) When everything in your flesh wants to punch back, a jab back, and claim my rights, and say that's not fair, and say, who do you think you are, and return evil for evil? Because, by the way, that's what we all want to do naturally, right? Nobody ever does that when someone cuts you off on the interstate, right? You never do that. You're like, I pray a blessing on that terrible driver, right? Christ in us enables us to respond in a supernatural way. And Peter says, I want you to look to the suffering of Jesus that was ultimately unjust as the source of your responding when you're treated unfairly in this world today. Got that? That's where we're going. 1 Peter 3, 18. Going to read this passage, and we'll we'll have a big truth, some big ideas that flow out of that to help you this morning, I think. So verse 18. For. Stop right there. You say, well, we didn't get very far, did we? Well, when you're reading in your Bible and you come to grammatical cues like this, The word for, this is the ESV translation, you need to stop and say, okay, hold on. He is getting ready to lay out a truth that is the basis for everything he's just said. You do not return evil for evil. You do not respond like the world. You do expect unjust treatment as a follower of Christ. Why? Verse 18, for. Or because Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus suffered unfairly. In fact, the ground, the basis of our response is Jesus himself looking to Jesus. The perfect one was never treated as he rightly deserved. He was treated unjustly. Verse 18 that, or so that, in order that, he, Jesus, might bring us to God. That's an incredible statement. We're going to look at that in just a minute. He, Jesus, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He was made alive in the spirit realm following his crucifixion. We'll talk about all this in just a minute. Verse 19. In which he, Jesus, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When was that? Well, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Peter's giving an illustration here. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Noah's ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. The water, the flood, that we know is a reality from the book of Genesis. Verse 21. Now Peter brings it back to their day. He says baptism, immersion, if you will. Which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body. If someone might be tempted to think baptism in the water somehow saves you, Peter says, no, no, that's not it. But it is an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to him. What a passage. He said, there's a lot of squirrely stuff going on here in this passage, right? We're going to try to cover some of this stuff that's going on. Here's your big truth I want you to see. This is the drumbeat, I think, in this passage. It's this. God accomplishes his purposes 
through the unjust suffering of his people. See, what Peter wants these believers in this day to hear is I know you're suffering to varying degrees at different seasons, at different times, unjust treatment for the name of Christ. And then he's going to give illustrations of how God chooses to accomplish his purposes through the unfair, unjust treatment of his people. Namely, Jesus the Son, and then he's going to give Noah as an example as well. And it's to encourage that unjust, unfair treatment, to whatever degree you receive that for the sake of Jesus, will always be used by God for his purposes. It's not in vain. Endure well. Endure well. Now, we're going to walk through this passage, walk through these verses. I want to give you a couple more caveats before we do that. A couple things to set up as we go into this passage. First one is this. Almost every Sunday morning, whether I'm your teaching pastor for the day or not, I've kind of got this prayer routine that I follow almost every Sunday morning. And one of my prayers, I pray for you and I pray for our church, I pray for my family, I pray for me is this. It's Isaiah 55:10, and, and here's what it says. It says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, God says, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will accomplish the purpose for which I send it. So almost every Sunday morning I pray Isaiah 55 and I pray, I pray the word of God is taught, I pray it's preached, I pray it's received well, I pray it's like rain and I pray it's like snow. That's what Isaiah says. Now hold on, stay with me. Say, Pastor Mike, you lost me at rain and snow. What are you talking about? Here's what Isaiah says. Sometimes God's word is given and taught and preached and it's like rain on a dry ground and that ground absorbs it immediately and there's immediate blessing and challenge from the word of God. It's like rain. You get that. Now watch. Sometimes it's like a snowbank. Sometimes it's like a snow melt, Isaiah says, and you don't immediately see the purpose and the reason for God's word. But over time, that water slowly seeps down into the soil. And in a season later on, that water nourishes the soul. You say, you may be in a season right now that everything is cool. You're not experiencing any unjust suffering. You can't even imagine what that is. But there may be a day you need the snow melt of the word of God to know how to rightly endure when you're being treated unfairly for the sake of Jesus. Some of you may need the rain of this passage right now. Some of you, it may be a week, a month, a year but I assure you if you're going to rightly name the name of Jesus and walk faithfully in this fallen world we need to know how to rightly endure well when we are treated unjustly because that's the world we live in so that's my prayer almost every Sunday morning Lord send out your word let it accomplish the purpose for when it was sent might be rain now it might be snow and it trickles down into our soul over time now Big truth. God accomplishes his purposes through the unjust suffering of his people. Let's dive down into this text and see if we can dig out some great truth here that God has for us this morning. I'll give you a few big ideas. Here's your first one. The unjust suffering of Jesus 
fully paid the price for sins. Peter's going to state here very clearly clear in verse 18. God accomplishes his purpose through unjust suffering. He gives the example. Verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Peter says, you want an example of someone suffering unjustly and accomplishing the purposes of God. It is Christ on the cross. He says, for sins. Jesus, the perfect sinless one, unjustly suffered like a convicted criminal. He was treated unfairly. He suffered once, Peter says. Why does Peter say it that way? Because Peter is drawing back to the priestly understanding in the Old Testament, the Old Testament sacrificial system. If you know anything about the Old Testament sacrificial system, you read in the Old Testament, for the sacrifice of sin, symbolically the priest, day after day, week after week, year after year, would have to go slay the animals. They didn't take away sin, it was a picture. But they did it over and over and over. Peter says, but now, Jesus has come once. And he's died once. Because in that one worthy sacrifice, unjustly being treated and dying as a criminal, he has paid the price, our sin debt, for all time. In his mind, I hear Hebrews chapter 10 maybe going off in Peter's mind. It says this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. Verse 12, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Why? Because he was tired? Nope. To declare, it's done. Everything necessary to atone for the sins of fallen humanity has been paid in Christ. Verse 14 of Hebrews, For by a single offering he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And Peter then is taking that to those exiles in that day and saying, look, God in his sovereign hand used the unjust suffering of the Christ, of Jesus, to carry out his eternally significant purposes. Your suffering is not in vain. Your unjust treatment is not meaningless. Your loss, your being passed over, whatever that is, is not in vain. The unjust suffering of Jesus fully paid the price for sins. Next, we get truth quickly. Look at verse 18 again. Not only that, we see another thing. The unjust suffering of Jesus brings us to God. This is just an incredible statement, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty, if you will, that he might bring us to God. Wow. If you circle in your Bible and you star in your Bible and you mark stuff, man, you need to mark verse 18 and memorize this sucker because here's the gospel in verse 18. He suffered for our sins once so that he might bring us to God. Now listen, that word bring, if you were to do a word study and you were to go to Blue Letter Bible or some of those tools that are available, you say, help me understand this word. What does this word mean? Give me a, here's what the word means, bring It means in this context to lead or bring to, to introduce, to provide access for, to bring about a right relationship. I love this. To render one acceptable. So through the suffering of Christ, the unjust suffering 
and the death of Christ once for our sin. We are now, by faith, those who repent and turn of sin and embrace Christ and Christ alone, we are now brought to God. We are presented by Christ as acceptable to the Father. We are welcomed into his presence. We are introduced to communion with God. We are being made like Christ. And we have an eternity that is secure in the Son forever and ever. And watch this. All of that came about through the unjust suffering of Christ on the cross. God accomplishes his purposes through unjust suffering in this fallen world. That is of immense encouragement to these believers in that day. That is of immense encouragement to you. These elect exiles suffering unjustly are called to look to Jesus and know that God accomplished his purposes through the unjust suffering of his people. No more clearly seen than looking to the perfect innocent one Jesus who suffered like a guilty man for you and me but in that accomplished God's perfect purposes of redemption. Your unjust suffering, what you and I might suffer, what you and I might lose simply for the name of the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus is absolutely worth it, and God will accomplish his purposes through it. Amen. That's the drumbeat of this passage. So Jesus, the unjust suffering of Jesus paid the price for sins. The unjust suffering of Jesus brings us to God. Let me give you a third thing quickly. The unjust suffering of Jesus secured victory over the demonic powers. <laughs> now we're going to continue on down to verse 18 through the rest of this passage. And again, it gets a little squirrely. At the end of verse 18, it says something happened. Jesus did something. And, and I'll just say, as we go into this passage, um, it is easily one of the top five most argued passages in the Bible. When I was in seminary years ago as a student, we did a, we did a few things in seminary too. One, we played a lot of ping pong. That's what seminary guys did. Second thing is we sat around and argued about stuff we really didn't know what we were talking about. This was one of those texts we argued about. What do you think this means? What do you think that means? Well, I don't know. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Context, context, context. You don't understand what a passage means if you take it out of its context. And also, you interpret somewhat difficult, obscure passages by the more clear ones in the Bible. The context here is unjust suffering. What goes on? in verse 19. But Jesus, being put to death in the flesh, was made alive in the Spirit. The Bible is speaking here of the, the literal physical death that Jesus endured. On the cross, Jesus physically died. He didn't get sick. He didn't swoon. He didn't faint, as some people want to say. He experienced a physical death on the cross to pay for our sin. Then it says he was made alive in the spirit. This seems to be some post-crucifixion activity in the spirit realm. If you'll hang with me, I'm going to try to walk you through this, and then we're going to pull back out on the other side, and you're going to go, that's why Peter put this here. Hang with me. Peter, what did Jesus do? What are you talking about? Well, it says in the spirit realm, verse 19, Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits now in prison. He proclaimed. Post 
crucifixion, somewhere it seems between the crucifixion and the physical resurrection, he went and proclaimed a message. He made an announcement. It was a declaration. It wasn't an invitation, but it was a declaration of a reality. Who did he do this to? Where did he go? Well, he tells us, he says, to the spirits now in prison. Oh, that clears it up, Pastor Mike. I get that. I don't. What does that mean? Scripture interprets Scripture. 2 Peter 2, 4 through 5 helps us. Same author, same situation, gives us a little more. He said, chapter 2, or 2 Peter 2, 4, 5, I'll just read it. You have to look there. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness, but kept them until judgment. He's speaking of angels here. So when the Bible uses the word spirit here, it's not talking about human spirits. It's talking about evidently angelic beings. Now, let me give you a little angelology this morning, right? Number one, angels are real. They exist. I don't have one that sits on my shoulder. They're not fluffy little cotton balls floating around. They're mighty agents of God. There are two kinds of angels. There are holy angels and there are fallen angels. And we call these fallen angels demons. There are two kinds of demons. There are bound demons who are locked in a prison forever and ever. And there are loose demons who are out running around. Carrying on the bidding of Satan. He's speaking to some bound angels. They were in prison, it says. Okay, hmm. So Jesus goes, makes a proclamation to these demonic forces who were bound. What in the world did they do? Stay with me. Why are they in prison? First Peter 3 answers it. Because, verse 20 says, they, the demonic forces, formerly did not obey. Okay, should be no surprise. Demons don't usually obey. They're like little kids, right? They don't normally obey. Like me, like you. Don't look so spiritual. This takes it to the next level. Verse 20. Because they, these demonic forces, formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Okay? So now we're going back to the season of Noah as an illustration of what Peter is trying to talk about here. There was some kind of demonic activity back in the days of Noah while the Lord was waiting in patience while the ark was being prepared. Verse 20. Remember Noah? We'll talk about Noah more in just a minute. He built this ark for 120 years. During that time, Peter says, there was this demonic activity that was going on. They disobeyed. Jude chapter 1 verse 6 gives us even more insight. And the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Okay. So you got these demonic beings, they're about this activity, during the times of Noah, they disobeyed, Jude says, they left their own domain, they stepped out of the bounds that they were to operate in as angelic beings and crossed over into another realm. This must be a serious thing for Peter to be talking about this. This must be a serious thing for 2 Peter to be talking about it. This must be a serious thing for Jude to be talking about it. Back in the days of Noah, what's going on? What in the world did they do? 
What did these angelic fallen demonic beings, what was their activity during the days of Noah? Well, we go back to Genesis 6. You don't have to turn there. It's a lot. You read about the account of Noah. By the way, the Bible interprets the Bible. Genesis 6.1 says this. I'm going to read this quickly, give you the application. Now, it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them that the sons of God... That's not people, that's divine beings. How do you know? Because they're not called sons of men. That's a reference to humans. They're called sons of God. These are divine beings. Divine beings did something. They saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. They took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. They left their abode. They left their natural bounds. And somehow, someway, in some warped way, angelic beings took on and cohabitated with the women of the earth. That's what it seems to indicate. By the way, some will disagree with that. I mean, we all disagree with it in principle, but some disagree with that interpretation. Hang with me. Verse 4. So what happens? The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. So there was this some kind of intermingling between demonic powers and the women in those days in Genesis chapter 6, and it evidently produced this half-demon, half-human line of people, Rosemary's baby kind of thing, if you've seen that movie, and they began to walk upon the earth. Pastor Mike, what in the world is all this about? Hang with me. Why did they do this? And why is it in 1 Peter chapter 3 for us this morning? Here's why I think it's here. Now hang with me. What was going on in Genesis 6, the days of Noah, and the activity of these demonic beings? Judgment was coming. The flood was coming. We know that from chapter 18 and 19 because it says during the time of Noah, the ark was being built and Noah was a preacher of righteousness, it says, and he was declaring judgment is coming. And at the same time, there was a provision given by God of an ark that was to be built. You want to be delivered from the coming judgment. You run into, by faith, this ark prepared by God, and you will pass securely through death unto life. It's a picture of something greater. We'll get there in a minute. That's the message of Noah during that day, righteous Noah. At the same time, there was a false message being proclaimed, inspired by Satan himself that said what something like this. No, 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 no. You don't need to listen to what God says. Judgment's coming, but you don't have to trust God's provision. There's another way. There's a better way in the flesh to avoid the coming judgment. And somehow this demonic forces cohabitated with women and created this race of superhuman. And here was the message. You will not die. You will be like God. Ever heard that message before? Genesis 3, same message. What's the point? Noah was a righteous man. He was the minority in his day. He was preaching a misunderstood message. He suffered for it. And these demons were about it. They were cast into prison because of their disobedience. And when Jesus 
was crucified, it seems that he went to this group and proclaimed the message of victory, that this message was proclaimed. God accomplishes his purposes through the unjust suffering of his people. You tried to thwart God's plan in the days of Noah, that never works. Faith in God's provision, even through the suffering of his people, will carry out my purpose. And it seems that that's here in this context of 1 Peter that Jesus, post-cross, went and proclaimed, No, God will always carry out his purposes, even if it's through death, even if it's through suffering. And that's to be an encouragement to those believers in that day. See that? That seems to be why this is here in this context. That there was this, there there was a way to be delivered from a judgment other than God's provision was the false message of the day. But Noah stood against the false message of the day and evidently suffered for what he stood for. He was in the minority, but the suffering of God's people carried out God's provision and he built an ark and some were saved through the judgment. Noah suffered evidently. And that's the theme that Peter wants the believers to hear from the example of Noah. Now, that's a lot, but Peter's not finished. Look back at verse 21. So Peter, you gave us this illustration about Noah and the ark and all that. What is the point of all that? Well, he comes to verse 21 and listen to what he says here. This is incredible. He says, now, now baptism... Or think of it as immersion into something, being fully in with something. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, Peter, what's going on here? He says, just like Noah's ark was a picture of God's deliverance. Watch this. Something greater than Noah's ark is here. That's the point. He says, now something corresponds to this. Circle the word corresponds. It means it's a type. It is a picture. There was a picture given in the days of Noah that preceded a greater reality that is the reality of Christ. Something greater than Noah's ark is here. Remember, the ark represented something utterly foolish to the watching world. Can you imagine being Noah, by the way, in that day? Just building. I'm just hammering my nails, right? I'm building. Somebody comes by. What are you doing there, Noah? Well, I'm building a boat. Uh, what for? Well, for the flood. They'd never seen rain. You're building a boat. I don't understand. For a judgment I've never seen. I think you're crazy, Noah. So Noah was seen his message was seen as utterly foolish God's provision was in that ark for the coming flood of judgment salvation deliverance demanded a person leave their old way of life and enter into that ark God's provision there in that ark they were safely carried through the waters of death to the other side which was in effect a whole new world a picture of resurrection and Peter is saying that was a type A picture of something greater to come. Something better than Noah's ark is here. In verse 21, he tells us, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the same way, Peter says, that Noah suffered 
and proclaimed faithfully and provided a temporary deliverance by building the ark. And those who ran into it were secure through the flood of death. He says, now there is a greater ark, and it is the ark of Christ. And for those who by faith run into that ark of Jesus, by faith, and leave that old way of life, and go into that ark, they are in, in Christ. By faith, they are immersed into the message and the person of Jesus and will go safely through the flood of death, go safely through the uh, flood of judgment, and be brought safely on the other side, which is a picture of resurrection of Jesus Christ. What's the point? God accomplishes his purpose through the suffering of his people. Christ suffered Christ died, he rose from the dead, and like the ark was the deliverance of coming judgment, the call is, come, run into Christ, who is the ark of deliverance. You see that? The last big idea is this, and we'll be closed, or we'll close, and the team can come on up. In all of this, your final big idea is this, baptism in the water, a symbol, it's immersion publicly symbolizes our union with Christ, Jesus, our immersion into Christ. Just like in the days of Noah, they were immersed in the flood. Believers today run into the ark of Jesus. We are in Christ. We are immersed into him. We can trust that whatever flood may come, the flood of judgment one day, we will pass through and we will emerge on the other side victorious unto a resurrection. How do we know that's true? Because Jesus died and rose again from the dead. Run into the ark that's Jesus. Baptism is a picture of the provision that's given by Jesus through the flood of judgment. Baptism pictures our union with him. Now watch. Our union with him and his suffering. Our union with him and his death. Our union with him and his resurrection. It also pictures our union with him in his future triumph and glory. Verse 22. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers who have been subjected to him. Meaning, the one who suffered now sits at the right hand of glory. Again, in God's economy, suffering precedes glory. And God's purposes are accomplished through the unjust suffering of his people. Pastor Mike, that's a lot. What am I supposed to do with all that this morning? Give you a couple quick thoughts and we'll close. I think Peter wrote this with a heavy heart. He wrote this with a heart of encouragement to strengthen his fellow believers in this day to say something like this Endure well when suffering unjustly, knowing that God accomplishes his purposes through your suffering. Endure well. You may not be in that season. It's probably coming. You may be right in the middle of that season. Endure well. Whatever loss, whatever pain, whatever you're passed over, however you're left out, for the sake of Jesus, endure well knowing that that unjust treatment 
will carry out the purposes of God. It's not in vain. Differing degrees, differing seasons. Secondly, run into the ark of salvation that is Jesus. You're here and somehow you don't know Christ. Never responded in faith and repentance. You know the story of Noah's ark. It's a picture of God's provision. Judgment is coming upon all sin. There is a deliverer. We run into that ark that is Jesus and trust and surrender our life to him. And we are immersed into him and will pass through the waters of judgment safely. Thirdly, publicly identify with Jesus through the obedience of baptism, water baptism. It's happening today. It's neat that it fit here on a text that talks about baptism. Water baptism does not save. Water baptism is a picture. You go into the water, the place of death. You come up out of the water, a place of resurrection. That pictures us running into the ark of Jesus, the place of safety, going into a place of death, coming out on the other side by faith and trust in him. If you're here and you're a believer and you've never publicly declared your faith in Jesus through the waters of baptism, I encourage you to take that step of obedience in Him today. God accomplishes His purposes through the unjust suffering of His people. Would you bow your head? Father, thank You for this word. Thank You for this truth. Lord, I pray that You will strengthen and encourage your people this morning with these things that we've heard. I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, they'll run into the ark that is Jesus and find a place of safety and rest and life. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.